0: Hello, folks, and welcome to the Friday, July 15th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, U.S. Senators Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst on a federal abortion ban, U.S. Representative Ashley Hinson on abortion punishments, and J.D. Scholten is back on the campaign trail. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me today are Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Jared.
1: Good morning uh Aaron this uh, this pod is your pod this pod is my pod uh, this pod is our pod
0: <laughs> Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is here Good morning Sarah Good morning and also Gazette opinion editor Todd Dorman Good morning Todd
2: Good morning
0: Jared now I have this pod was made for you and me in in my head is that am i going to the right place okay
2: <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: First up this week, Iowa's two Republican U.S. Senators, Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst, were asked where they stand on whether Congress should enact a nationwide federal ban on abortions. Now, this hypothetical, of course, would require Republicans to regain control of all three legs of the federal lawmaking stool, of which they currently hold none. Um, And it also would require Republicans to have at least a 60-vote majority in the Senate in order to get around the filibuster assuming the filibuster is still around whenever this hypothetical scenario would kick in. Uh, But it is one of those questions that's being asked, you know, in this new post-Roe legal landscape. Uh, So as to the question and and the answers, both Grassley and Ernst said they do not support a nationwide federal ban on abortions in the country. They both said the recent overturning of Roe versus Wade put the issue in the hands of the individual states, and they seem to be fine with that. In fact, Grassley went so far as to say that that's been his precise goal for 50 years. Sarah, let's start with you today. They did a little me a little bit. Did those surprise, did those answers surprise you at all? Um, and kind of tandem question to tag on here. Please forgive the cynic and me for asking. But do you think that their answers would be different if they represented a state that is not controlled by Republicans and thus is unlikely to enact any abortion restrictions?
3: Yeah, I think that's a good question. You know, when um I'd asked Grassley bef- like when the leak document came out whether he supported a, an abortion ban and he he kind of said, "Oh, well, I don't want to comment on that, but if you look at some of my past um positions, I I would support leaving it to the states and there was a I think it was in the 1980s there was a um a bill that would have overturned Roe v. Wade that he supported. And um, so it didn't surprise me so much coming from Grassley, but from Ernst, um, there was some reporting that she was maybe part of a group of senators that was going to push for an abortion ban. Um, So that so it didn't really surprise me coming from Grassley, but maybe from Joni Ernst. But, you know, you look at the polling. um, If you if you take the U.S. as a whole, a majority of Americans think that abortion should be legal in Some cases, some are all cases. And so, um, you know, if you push for an abortion ban for the whole entire country, that could, you know, embolden Democrats and and really get people um, fired up on the Democratic side to get to the polls. Um, And, you know, Ernst and Grassley, like you said, do come from a Republican led state. And, um, and, can come back to their voters and be like, you know, we gave Kim Reynolds the power to um, to uh, enact restri- further restrictions on abortion, and um, so you know they're not necessarily facing a, a split government at least right now. And so, um, and I think also too the the we've seen reporting nationally the um, pro life movement has really embedded themselves into state legislatures over the last several decades and has made it um, more, they've really had much more of a presence in those uh, in those state governments, whereas pro-choice people may have been more in uh, congressional uh, um, politics. So leaving it to the states might actually, you know, produce better outcomes for those red-leaning states.
0: Yeah, that that's true. And yeah, I, I just can't help but wonder if if this was happening at a time when it was Governor Tom Vilsack or Chet Culver um, instead of Governor Kim Reynolds, would would Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst be more amenable to, you know, a federal abortion ban? I can't, I can't help but wonder because, yeah, as mm-hmm. it stands right now, they can punt that to the states comfortably because they know Iowa Republicans are going to do something on this uh, one way or the other. Um, Jared and, and and the other part of this is, and I'm just so terribly cynical and jaded. How how awful that I ask, uh, but there's also an element of this that feels like, because because Sarah pointed out some 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 good numbers there, and by taking the it's up to the states now stance, Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst can say, hey, we got Roe taken away, we got the issue of abortion where we want it but now it's up to the states to actually do something. You know, I've I, I washed my hands of actually putting a, reg, a a regulation or a restriction on the books. That's up to those folks down at the state level uh, to do that. It seems like a sort of politically expedient position to take, uh, too. Do, do you think there's any element of that in here, too? Or, again, am I just a terribly, overly cynical and jaded reporter?
1: Well, no, I think there's a couple of um, just very, like, smart tactical reasons for this being the the approach at this time um, you know they and their staffs can see the polling which shows that a majority of people oppose the Supreme Court's abortion ruling you know and a majority of people think abortion should be legal um, and of course you know they're not beholden to what a majority of people say in a poll that can be a little bit of the calculus now circling back to what you were saying at the beginning, Do I necessarily think they would give up the idea of a federal abortion ban if the party actually had the numbers to make it happen? That's a lot more murky because a ban like that wouldn't be popular at all, again, if we're going off polling. But there are a number of laws that Congress passed under Donald Trump that folks weren't fond of, and that didn't matter. They just moved them through as quickly as they could. Of course, you know, something like tax cuts, which those weren't popular, those aren't as contentious or as impactful as an abortion ban. But again, you know, if your party has shown a willingness in the past to make deeply unpopular moves at the federal level, you should expect that that could happen again in the future, too, even on the biggest and most controversial issues.
0: Yeah, that, that's a really good point, Jared. And, and to that, you know, this hypothetically set up, it's, it's not even a question until Republicans have full control anyways or at least control of one of the chambers and they can symbolically move legislation. But it's one thing to sit here right now and say th- that I don't support a federal ban. But if Republicans take control of the Senate and there's a bill before you and you have to vote now, that, that may be different. Uh, it, 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 it'd be interesting. Um, Same topic, other chamber. Um, This past weekend, Republican Congresswoman Ashley Hinson had a strong reaction to a fact checking piece published by the Gazette that addressed her views on abortion restrictions and any violations of those restrictions and how they should be addressed and or punished. Um, At the heart of the matter, essentially, and this is a really complex thing overall, but at the heart of the matter is whether Hinson would support legislation that would make it a crime to A, have an abortion, B, administer abortion, or C, help a pregnant person have an abortion. So Hinson has made clear she does not support criminal charges for the individual who has the abortion. She has said multiple times, I don't support prosecuting women. Um, And she has signed off on legislation um, that supports that. And she has said, and and, um, less publicly, although I I, I asked her about it on this morning's Friday morning's conference call, and she did address it, uh, I think, more directly than she has to this point, she does say that if a physician breaks a law on abortion, that that physician should be uh, prosecuted so she's made those two elements clear what's still a little bit more murky is whether ashley henson believes that anyone who helps a woman have an abortion should be prosecuted her staff has been pointing uh me to a vote she took on a, on a federal amendment how very recently here that does say um that that this bill should not be used to prosecute a person who helps a person having an abortion either so, so that does hold up in that sense, uh, but and in the, uh, to give full disclosure here, it's, we're recording this at one o'clock-ish Friday afternoon, and this is a story that is still in progress and that I'm still working on um, and asking Congresswoman Henson's team about. She also voted for the 6 weeks slash quote-unquote fetal heartbeat bill in Iowa. That does not contain protections for people who help people having an abortion. So she's essentially voted both ways on this one way at the state level and one way at the federal level. So that out all the way, uh, I hope you're taking notes. The quiz is at the end of the podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Let's circle back uh, first uh, Todd about the, the fact check thing, because you wrote about this this week and specifically, specifically Ashley Henson and her team's response to the fact check um, and again, in full disclosure for our listeners, uh, just FYI, neither Todd nor I, uh, nor Tom Barton, for that matter, who, who couldn't make the podcast this week. None of us are involved in the Gazette's fact-checking stories. That's a different team that puts those together. Uh, Todd, tell us what you wrote about all this this week.
2: Well, it, you know, it seems like her, her team is very sensitive about how her position on this issue is perceived. and you know, because the, you know, it's one thing to be, you know, pro-life and say that you want to save unborn, you know, unborn humans, but it's another to sort of pin yourself down on the messy details of, you know, what that's going to mean going forward. So I think people want to, Republicans want to run on the issue. They want to celebrate the ruling. They, you know, want to cast it in in the terms that they're most comfortable with. But when the, you get into this, you know, these details about who's going to be prosecuted, what's going to happen, you know, there are States where they're trying to figure out how to keep people from going to other States and, and have abortions. There are all sorts of conversations going on about, you know, punishments and civil penalties and, and the ability to file lawsuits. And so there, this is all very sort of messy. And so, you know, the, the fact check basically, focused on, you know, whether she wanted to criminalize abortion. It noted that she voted for the heartbeat bill in the in the legislature that, that did have a section that said this cannot be construed, to, you know, to, to prosecute women who have an abortion. Uh, but you're right, it was silent on on other things. It also has some exceptions for rape and incest right. and medically necessary abortions. But then she also is a co-sponsor of the Life Begins at Conception Act, which is a very broad piece of legislation that basically says the constitution project protects human life at all of its phases including i mean basically from fertilization on it does have a exception for prosecuting women but it doesn't say anything about prosecuting anybody else and it also doesn't have any exceptions like the legislative bill so that you know the fact check basically said yeah she she doesn't want to prosecute women but it, there's a large gray area here think you know because she sponsored this really broad legislation that that maybe other penalties could be in play for doctors and, and others who assist in abortion uh, so her, her team got upset about that they claimed that we were saying that she wanted to prosecute women which the fact check you know said the exact opposite and also that uh, we said that she hadn't made any public statements about You know, the the issue of whether other people should be prosecuted. They said that was a lie and pointed to a a statement that was made when Roe was reversed that, you know, said nothing about this uh, this issue of further criminal penalties. So, they're sensitive about it. They were eager to change the subject. And when you want to change the subject and you're a Republican, one of the best ways to do that is to start bashing the media and saying they're liberal and a bunch of liars and an arm of the DCCC, which is all, was all said by uh, Jimmy Peacock, her chief of staff, and her campaign manager. Um Thankfully, Todd,
1: you didn't see any of those kinds of uh, things on uh, Twitter uh, tweeted at you or anything like that. You yeah. Just, yeah. You know, so you're...
2: I, <laughs> yeah, I got tangled up in it because I, all I did was basically point out that what they were saying about the fact check wasn't true. And then, then they went after me and then Jeff Kaufman came after me. And so it was a, there, it was a big old, big old home week. I mean, everybody was back together again and we were all having a really good time. So
0: yeah, and. And and the thing I want to add, because I, I said at the beginning that we're not involved in the fact check, I do want to make clear that I absolutely support the work the fact check team did. And, and Todd illustrated why they did a great job with it. They were absolutely accurate all the way through. And and I'll defend that team's uh, work tooth and tooth and nail. And certainly at the very least, nobody's lying. That that was the thing that the line that particularly uh, upset me. I I know the folks on this. crew um and and there are no liars among them um especially when they're putting their work their names on that work uh so so well in fact
2: fact checking is tough because you're i mean it's always a target i mean Mm -hmm. nobody likes to be fact checked and have you know get a bad grade for something they claimed or a good grade for something being claimed against them no you know people spend politicians spend a lot of money on pants and so when you know, we point out their pants are on fire. I mean, that's it's costly. It's just frankly very costly. <laughs> the pants but... budget just takes such a hit. <laughs> so, yeah, and and I mean, the whole backdrop of this is that I mean, to say that you're going to have really extreme abortion restrictions passed, pr- you know, probably potentially in Iowa and all over the country, and nobody's going to be punished is just it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. So. Todd
1: kind of circling back to what you're talking about in particular with this like uncomfortability with messy details. That's, that's not something we're just seeing here in Iowa with this issue. Obviously one of the biggest stories of this entire week now has been the case of the 10 year old girl mm-hmm. who was raped and then sought an abortion. And, you know, at first the, the move there was just to deny it, that it even actually happened. And then mm-hmm. it was just a fairy tale or a nightmare, I guess. Um, and then once more details came out, the, you know, calculus on that started to change. And now, like, politicians that are getting asked about it that are not at all in favor of abortion, like, the you know, the messiness has made them far more uncomfortable, and the messaging has gotten a lot more muddled.
2: Well, yeah, when I saw the uh, the Wall Street Journal editorial, I mean, I'm an editorial page editor, and I, I just, I couldn't believe that they jumped that quick to condemn this like that. I mean... I mean, you know, this report came out and I mean, this is a totally wait and see situation. I mean, yeah, yep. I mean, let's wait and see if, if someone's arrested, let's, I mean, just to sort of call this a a falsehood right out of the gate is, was really irresponsible by a lot of people, but we, we live in irresponsible times. So yeah,
0: that, that's such a great point, Todd. It, because yeah, absolutely, it was a sing, it started as a single source story. So, so yeah, that that needs to be vetted. That that needs to be confirmed. But good lord, give it twenty four or forty eight hours, heaven's sake, before you declare the whole thing uh, phony. Wall Street Editorial Board, my god, um, all <laughs> all of this stuff. Did they um, issue
3: any kind of a like correction? They did.
0: They, did. they at least did that. Yeah, uh, it, it including was... on the piece itself online. Like there's a big editor's note now about it, and they wrote a whole separate one too. So, But yeah,
1: that's not been the case with everyone that jumped out right away to say that it's no. a falsehood.
2: No, Jim Jordan has still not <laughs> oh. said, you know, all he said was he was glad someone was arrested. He didn't, there was no mea culpa for all the garbage yeah. that he tweeted. Yeah.
0: it was. It, it, to, to your point, uh Jim Jordan says it's still, it was all about the media. It's their fault that he doubted the story. Um, this all <laughs> uh, circles back to a point that you touched on, Todd, that I think is a really good point and important to, for folks to hear and keep in mind going forward is this whole th- abortion issue for so long for literal decades has been essentially a binary discussion and debate right pro-life versus pro-choice not, not throughout all that history of that contested issue that that debate and discussion rarely to never got into the weeds and what folks are finding out now is it's not that simple, and there are a lot of questions to be raised you know from legal questions to medical questions and and it is a super messy issue and a super complicated issue, and there are a lot of questions to be answered in the coming weeks and months as states pursue these laws and and I think you 're right i I think to a certain degree, Republican office holders are not wanting to have to answer these questions or, or not wanting to get into these weeds because you know the by and large the people who have been pushing for this what we have now have cons- have have viewed it through such a simple uh, uh lens such a simple prism and, and it's not that at all and um man it's going to be an interesting uh few months uh, as i say all too often these days what a time to be alive and maybe Certainly that's one of the
3: reasons that um, some of our senators don't really want an abortion ban or to get into that on the federal level. They're like, OK, states, take it. Take it exactly. from us.
0: Yep. You, your turn now. <laughs> we're, we're out. Uh, obviously, much more to talk on this uh, about this uh, down the road. Um, uh, the other thing we want to talk about this week, let's get off of that issue and onto the campaign trail where Iowa political journalists truly belong. Um, it's the return of Western Iowa's favorite Democrat, J.D. Schulten, the former minor league baseball player from Sioux City and man most responsible for Steve King being a former congressman. Schulten has joined the campaign of Democratic U.S. Senate candidate Mike Franken as political director. uh, No small thing. Uh, Jared, this is your territory. So let's start with you. Uh, Can J.D. Schulten help Mike Franken defeat Chuck Grassley?
1: Uh, Well, we're going to find out. Um, (laughs) Obviously, the most recent um, congressional campaign that uh, Shulton ran himself didn't go the way that he had hoped. He lost to Randy Feenstra by 24 points in 2020. But, you know, in 2018, as everyone knows, against Steve King, he did way better, and he was only 3% or so away from the Republican in a district that now goes red by 20 points or more pretty much every single time going back uh, cycle after cycle. So that's what he's pointing to, and that's what the Franken campaign is po- pointing to. They're using 2018 as a roadmap uh, for Franken in this cycle, but with Grassley being the focus instead of Steve King. And, you know, maybe that can work to a degree. Grassley's been in office since 1980, at least in the Senate, and that rubs even some middle of the road people the wrong way. And his disapproval number is at, you know, 43%, according to the register. Um, but, Grassley doesn't have the same kind of unpopularity that Steve King does. Uh, (laughs) Steve King in 2018 was uniquely unpopular in this district and in this state and in the entire country. And that unpopularity is part of what doomed him in 2020. You know, that in the litany of controversies regarding race and ethnicity and immigration and you can keep going, which was also
0: the media's fault, by the way.
1: Yes. Um, as he talked about his length at length in his book, um, so I, I don't know if, if 2018 is the model to work off of for other campaigns just because that was such a specific set of circumstances that happened there. Like you uh, short of winning, you couldn't have been blessed with a better set of circumstances to run as, as a Democrat in this part of the state. So I don't know if that's applicable to a Senate run or not. But like I said, we're, we're going to see, I guess.
0: Yeah, and, and Sarah, I'm curious to hear from you on this because presumably this is a move by the Franken campaign to continue their ongoing efforts to reach those middle-of-the-road persuadable voters, that, uh, the types that J- Jared talked a little bit about there. Now, J.D. Schulton is a known quantity in Western Iowa for reasons we've, we've just talked about. Um, how much does this help? How well-known is he uh, over in your side of the state along the Mississippi River?
3: Yeah, I mean, certainly within, uh, like, politically active people and groups he's known for his 2018 run and then you know running again in uh 2020 but um but i don't think it's the average person just you meet out on the street somebody who's just you know votes every year but may not read a ton in the news or might just vote for president and their congressional representatives i mean you know I don't know that they are really going to know or or care that um, the star power of J.D. Schulton is on uh, the, the campaign that's trying to defeat Chuck Grassley, just a name alone. And, you know, if he if I think probably more what's going to matter on this side of the state is what kind of ideas he can bring to um, to Mike Franken's campaign of like, OK, here, how do we reach moderate voters? And, you know, so I guess we'll see what what his ideas are on on how to reach those moderate voters.
1: Uh, I, I would just add too, um, you know, like even in parts of the state where people might not know uh, Shulton, if Shulton's going to help uh, this campaign and like do the kind of campaigning he did in uh, 2018, that would be the biggest asset by far because like he went all over the place and like made sure to even go to towns that maybe a Democrat had not been to in a good long while. So
0: that's that's so smart that that you two tying that up. That's exactly where I was going to swing the conversation to Todd because if we set aside, you know, just the news the headline jd schulten joins franken campaign but if they are able to uh and todd i'll put this to you to start if they are able to get him out on the campaign trail now uh we should asterisk this with jd does he have a challenger he's running for the state house no, he does not yeah. okay so he's unopposed. So um, he he can get out on the campaign trail. Todd, if if the Franken campaign is able to put J.D. schulten out on the campaign trail, send him to those places, have him talk to voters the way he did in 2018. And, and clearly the Franken campaign feels like J.D. has some kind of crossover appeal. He knows how to talk to those kinds of voters the way that maybe other Iowa Democrats don't. Is there something to that? Is is this something that J.D. can help move the needle? Uh, even in the tiniest
2: bit in in this campaign, yeah, I mean that's that's obviously part of his value, JD Shulton's value. Uh, maybe a bigger part of it, though, is that you know this is a Democrat that's probably campaigned more in rural Iowa than any other Democrat, and if he shows, you know, uh, if he shows Mike Franken how to do that, Mike Franken, who this is really the first time he's run. A wide open statewide campaign. I mean, he ran in the primary, but that was mostly brought to you by Zoom. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, so he's getting out there and if, if and you know, Shulton can sort of show him the ropes on, on how to appeal to those voters because Shulton obviously knows how to do it. And, and yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a valuable campaign asset, both as someone who can campaign and both, and also someone uh, who can strategize? I mean, as I, it's it's interesting. As I wrote this week, uh, Republicans are just they're having a hard time, sort of getting their claws into Franken. I mean, he doesn't have the record, you know, the voting record that you can you can mine for, for uh, attack targets. And and you know, I think recently they've been Republicans have been criticizing mm-hmm. him because because Franken got mad about a an you know let's go Brandon uh, let's flag. go Brandon F yeah. Joe biden flag and in Sumner <laughs> and he he wrote the mayor and sort of overreacted to it because let's face it that stuff's all over the place you got to kind of ignore it but
0: I, I have a house in Ankeny to show him
2: yeah right I've got one in my up in my subdivision uh so you know he you know they argued that it was he was insulting Iowan's free speech and and all of these things. But it's, it's really hard to argue against the candidate. I mean, make the argument that someone is, you know, treading on free speech when you're representing a party that wants to, you know, ban books and stop schools from teaching accurate (laughs) history. I mean, you have a, there's a little bit of a problem there. There's a disconnect. So, you know, and they've said he's a Biden apologist and they've said that, you know, he's got a big ego and, Uh, All of these things, but I I just, these are sort of the common punches, but I don't see them landing. I mostly what I get from, and when I write about this stuff, mostly what I get from readers is, who cares? Grass is going to win in a landslide. Well, I guess we'll find out this weekend when the Iowa poll starts rolling out.
0: Yeah, speaking of that, uh, good tease, and we'll have that to talk about next week, as we talked about on last week's podcast, where the Franken had the internal poll, and that was interesting, and uh, of course, uh, the Republicans were quick to dismiss it, so we'll, uh, Ann Seltzer is about to speak, and, and just like E.F. Hutton, um, the rest of us will listen. Sorry to Jared and Sarah, who are too young to get that reference. <laughs>
1: I um I I I'm wondering <laughs> if um you know with uh, Schulten being on Franken's campaign now, if that means that they can get Kevin Costner to do another uh, commercial. You know, uh, Costner did one for uh, Schulten, so maybe now. Uh, God, I forgot talk, that. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh man, I don't, I don't know if he comes back to the Field of Dreams games this this summer. Then uh, is that they're doing one this year, right? Oh
1: yeah, more than yeah. one yeah. now. There's, there's going to be multiple yeah, Field of Dreams. Maybe if Kevin games. comes
0: back, can, JD can. Uh, get him a a two for one while he's there real quick here before we go the 2024 march continues through iowa um at least on the republican side Uh, sooner than later here we'll know what's going on on the democrat side but for now it's all about the gop u.s senator u.s senator tim scott is scheduled to appear at ashley hinson's fundraising barbecue event and jared uh, i hear mike pompeo is coming back to iowa as well right
1: Yeah, he is. He's going to be the uh, keynote speaker at the uh, 2022 uh, Siouxland Chamber dinner in September. And he's uh, following in the footsteps of past speakers like uh, Navy SEAL Robert O'Neill, former uh, Minnesota Supreme Court Justice and Vikings player uh, Alan Page, and also uh, Rudy Giuliani spoke at this dinner in (laughs) uh, in 2019. So uh, a, a who's who. Um, and you know, Pompeo's already been in Iowa this year. He was here in uh, April most recently. So he's a fan of this state for some reason. I just, I (laughs) I wonder what it could be. Can't
0: quite put a pin on that. I think one more visit to uh, Mike's been one of the regulars. I think one more visit and he has to claim residency and get Iowa license plates. Um, someone should let him know about the all black ones. Those seem to be popular. Maybe he'd get one of those. Um, so obviously those are coming up. We'll keep an eye on those, and if anything interesting is said, we will tell you all about it on a future episode of On Iowa Politics. That's it for this week's edition. If you enjoyed it, tell your friends and subscribe to us on any number of streaming audio services, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. I saw one this week. I think it's called Deezer. It's a it's a French one. We're even on that one. We're all over the place, man. We're we're global. Um, oh, we oui, we. <laughs> If you have any suggestions for topics to discuss or you just want to reach out to the team here, you can email us at podcasts at thegazette.com. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll get all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that On Iowa Politics newsletter at thegazette.com. And don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Basically, all the papers in the state. Milk and eggs will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on our show, please send us a sound file. For Jared, Sarah, Todd, and our producer, Steven, I'm Aaron Murphy.
4: All down, all bitter and bad There's a hole in your soul From all the bad things you've done And every time you think of it